and welcome to Really Is That The Way You See Me, the podcast that is designed to open up the blind spots in your relationships with yourself and others and view the world through a different lens. With the holidays of Easter and Passover approaching, I thought it would be fun and useful to discover about family holidays and social gatherings through the lens of the three Enneagram instinctual survival strategies. In short, the survival strategies are the unconscious drivers that have, have us navigate through our day-to-day existence. When the needs of these instincts are met, we are like dogs with a tail who's wagging. But when those needs and instincts are not met, all hell breaks loose and we act out reactively in less than optimum ways. Our dominant instinct unconsciously controls our happy meter. The three survival instincts are called the sexual or one-to-one instinct, the social or tribal instinct, or the self-preservation instinct. Now we possess all three instincts, but the primary and dominant one generally and unconsciously and and automatically directs our lives. It dictates how we spend our time and energy, the type of relationships that we choose, the topics that we focus on in most of our personal interactions. Today's episode, I am calling your three survival instincts and family gatherings. Discussing this topic with us today is my dear friend, Sandra de Klerk, who is joining us from Belgium. Sandra and I met in an Enneagram training about 10 years ago, and there was an instantaneous connection, and you're going to find out why. Sandra holds a master's degree in organizational psychology and started her career as a HR manager in the business world. As an avid learner, she became well-versed in many psychological systems. In 2006, Sandra, due to her love of personal growth, She decided to shift gears and work independently by opening her own private coaching and training practice. And six months later, she encountered the Enneagram and fell in love with the system and spent many years mastering its power and nuances to serve her clients. Sandra also, I want to boast, speaks about five or six languages. I think she corrected me and said five but only coaches in Dutch and English. Welcome, Sandra. So happy to have you here with us today. And we've discussed this for a long time. <laughs> yes, we did. Hi, Iris. So nice to be here in your podcast and to be able to share um, some of the experiences I had around this topic. And I think it will, yeah, there will be some eye openers, I think, in the stories and I uh, what I noticed is that a lot of people really recognize those examples. So I hope it will create some more understanding and forgiveness and less frustration in the relationships. <laughs> I'm glad to be here for that reason. So I am so happy for you to be here because you, you share these stories with me and sometimes we belly laugh, but sometimes they are kind of like the whole universe opens up from them. Because when you get them right from your participants, it's like in real mm-hmm. life. It's not just in theory, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it, the, the theory comes alive through the stories. And especially if you recognize the same story over and over again, when you see 
like thousands of people and they all recognize the same story, then there must be something to it. It's not just three people. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So we're going to get started. Um, Okay. So what inspired us to do this episode is the other day, Sandra and I were having a conversation about the instincts and uh, family gathering dynamics. And we had some really good belly laughs. And when we spoke about this topic, we thought it would be useful for the listeners being that the uh, holidays of Easter and Passover are approaching and they're actually next week. So hopefully I get this recording out in time. Um, And as we, and we were talking about like the seating arrangements and um, I had a story that I shared with her. I was a few weeks ago, I was at my niece's house and we were setting the table for the Sabbath. And um, my niece informed me, no, you cannot sit next to or across from Nussi because the two of you have a conversation. You lock in and everybody else disappears. We're not invited. Now, I cracked up because I knew, first of all, it was true what she said. (laughs) And secondly, because I knew that it was our sexual one-to-one relational instinct that was at play. Now, uh, I'd like to ask Sandra her experience on this topic, being that she has worked with numerous people on the three in- instincts and has done like panels and all of that. Um, okay. So, uh, Sandra, what can you say on this topic? And of course, I'm sure you're going to keep the anonymity. I can never say that word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, so during the trainings about the instincts, we always ask them some questions and um, they have to respond really instinctively because the longer you think, the more you use your adult brain and it's less instinctive. But the interesting thing is, for example, we ask them, okay, you want to make a reservation in a, in a restaurant. Um, what are the, the aspects that are really important for you to choose the restaurant? And then what is really interesting is that we don't, we don't tell them who they're going to have dinner with. And they cannot ask any further questions. But what comes up time after time. Oh, I wouldn't like that one, right? <laughs> yeah. Time after time, it's the same pattern. The social instinct, they are going to the restaurant with a group. And we didn't tell them you're booking a, a restaurant for a group. And the sexual instinct, they will um, go to the restaurant with their partner. And the self-pressed people, they will go with their family. And then you see the difference in yeah, things that are important. Like the self-pressed people, they want to have like practical stuff. Like, is there parking space? Do you have to walk far? Is it far from home? Can we drive? <laughs> can we drink some alcohol? Here in Belgium, you can have some alcohol and then drive. Like, isn't it too loud? Um, so it's, it's price quality. That is for self-pressed people. And then sexual instinct people, they want intimacy. They want to have like those restaurants where you can kind of hide away with the two of you and be somewhere separate and the light is dimmed and, and they don't bother you too much and you have the time to really relax and enjoy the company. And then social instincts, they just want to, place that they think about stuff like 
is there something to eat for everybody in the group? For example, if there, if there is vegetarians, is there a vegetarian dish? Uh, is there a place for the children to, to play? So they come up with other, really, really other stuff. And then we always um, ask about the perfect setting. So then we ask like, okay, what kind of table would you like? And for, as I said, for sexual people, it's like, I, we want to go like. The corner booth. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, okay, where nobody can see us and, and we can kind of disappear into the bubble and then the, yeah, the bubble with the two and, and that's it. But social people, they don't want to do that because they like the overview in the restaurant. So they want to have a spot where they can see who's coming in and out in case they know someone hmm? <laughs> and they have to say hi huh? or invite you at their table. Huh? Um, or And then the, the interesting thing is there's always this discussion between the instincts that shows up because then I asked them, what, what is the perfect table for you? And the social instincts say a round table. And because they love the round table because then they have the overview, of course, but also they really want to have one conversation. They don't like it when people are kind of starting up a separate conversation. And that is why they talk more about uh, topics that are not too heavy, like they, you're not really talking about your deeper soul issues in a group, huh? but they talk about the war in Ukraine or Corona or things that everybody is kind of, yeah, everybody knows, everybody's involved. Uh, so news topics or um, trends that are new, but it's not really personal, personal. And for sexual instincts, it can be superficial and they can get annoyed. <laughs> that is after a recognition. Um, can, yeah. I, can I ask you a really yeah. question? So what I'm hearing from you is that the social instinct, one of the high sides of it is that they're very inclusive and also that they want the round table so they can have a, uh, like be a drop into every person's conversation, like they're overhearing everybody's conversation and they kind of go in and out. Well, the, the perfect scenario is that there is one communal conversation. Got it. Okay. And, you know, if you look at it from a psychological uh, uh, point of view, I really understand it because it is safe because there is nothing that you're not hearing. Mm -hmm. So gossip is another thing that is more connected to social instinct. And, but it has, yeah, it has a negative connotation. But on the other hand, gossip is also necessary because it is a way of survival. And it is a way to know who can we trust and who can't we trust. And that is really important for a social instinct to know. Are you friend or foe? And if there's too many conversations that you know you're not sure if they're talking about you and you're not sure what's being said and you want to know everything you want to know who is doing what with whom so that is why they want to have one conversation and another way to they want to group as a whole they don't it's kind of a fear that get triggered when when the, when the group is being split up 
And, and one way, another way to do it is to start playing games because then, then they want to include everyone and, have, and they want everybody to join. And it's a way of keeping people together because they don't, they're also the ones that don't want to go home as long as the group is, in, is it's like a energy for them. So as, as long as the group is, is good, there's a group atmosphere, they don't want to go home. But then the self-preservation people who are much more in touch with their inner clock, so to speak, they know when their body's tired. They just want to go home and sleep. So that can be another thing that shows up. Okay, so I have to just stop you for one second. because <laughs> I just had an eye-opening thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now in the Enneagram, I have social as my last instinct. And the thing that you said about gossip, I never thought of it that way. Because I have that negative mm-hmm. connotation to, to gossip. If you have something to say about somebody, go up to them, reality check, and that's it, right? But I never thought of it from the perspective of survival and safety. So that's really interesting. And it does give me uh-huh. a different perspective. So thank you for that. Yeah, just look at look at the, the war in Ukraine. You have to know whether somebody is a Russian spy or if he's really a, a, a citizen of a Ukraine city. And not everybody knows that, but if you're together, they, you can say, does anybody know this guy? It's a difference. You see, there is a safety in it. Yes. There's a safety in knowing who is who and where is he from. And it's kind of having that overview of the whole situation. And it they really kind of want to have that grid of who is who, who connects to whom, and where am I in the grid, and am I safe? Mm-hmm. Is the grid safe? And that is the price that, that people uh, pay when they have a social instinct first. They really adapt. That's the price they pay. They adapt for the safety, to feel safe, and to have that, yeah, how to say it, like this safety net that they can depend on, but then they have to make sure there are no holes in it. Yeah. And that is why they start gossiping because if it's, if it's the same person every time in the network that doesn't really contribute and the, or doesn't help the network, then that person is not safe anymore. So they want to know. Very interesting because yeah. I have, I have a, a client I have a couple, couple, and she's sexual first, you know, that one-on-one relational and mm-hmm. the husband is social. And one of the things that came out for him was, you know, somebody in her life, her mother actually said, okay, I don't want you to share this with your husband. So for her, it was like, we, you're my pair bond. We have a pact. I'm not sharing it with you. And with anyone, you know, I gave you my word. That's, you know, that's our safety thing. And her husband found out this piece of information from somebody else. And he started feeling so left out. And, you know, like, like, why didn't you tell me this? And Mm -hmm. I never really saw as long as I've been teaching the Enneagram, I never really saw gossip. And like, to me, it was always like, you know, why are you in everybody else's business? Get back in your own lane. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and, you know, so there's a high side. Is there a low side to gossip in the social? Oh, yes. Industry? Okay. Uh, uh, if you look at the movie Yachten, it is a Scandinavian movie, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it is also, um, I don't know the title in English, but the thing is that um, the gossip can be really destructive or it can create that you're kind of, um, yeah, there is a point, and I've seen it in teams as well, where at a certain point, if, if there is a phase in the team development where it's a closed system and there is a lot of um, informal rules, but they don't tell the rules to newcomers. So, and then that newcomer was kind of an, an outcast within a few days because she didn't adapt to the rules that were there, but they didn't tell her. And so I was brought in because the same pattern was yeah, repeated itself for, for a year that they brought someone in and within a few days, it was like a problem. And so the thing is that gossip was a really important thing there because as soon as the newcomer didn't really feel that there was a rule, like they said, she didn't plant the water, uh, she didn't water the plant. And I said, did you, did you ask her that? And they said, no, but you can see the plant. I said, yeah, but maybe she thought it's your plant. Maybe I shouldn't water it. (laughs) So it can be those really stupid practical things. But then they start gossiping and they said, you see, she doesn't do that. No, she's not committed. No, she's not engaged. And it became a whole story. Right. And then it it damages the listening of everybody else about that person. Yeah, and then they started bullying, bullying her, bullying, and she, yeah, bullying, and then she, they, then she found this email where where they said, well, she'd better ha- uh, hang herself, and she was like totally, um, yeah, amazed, and she said, what? How can you say those things? But that is the thing. If you're in a group, it's like. I'm not in the wrong. And because you're doing it as a group, there is nobody correcting because you want to belong. And the norm really kind of gets vaguer and vaguer. And that is really dangerous. Right. And it's also like pack mentality. So it's kind of like we think together and this is what makes it safe. This is our group Mm -hmm. belief, you know, which is not much different than politics or you know mm-hmm. anything else right religion yes like yeah so, so the I'm, downside is war you could say of yeah yeah i could see that um, us against you because they are inclusive but for their group but they're not inclusive tribe. for all groups because they say i belong to my network but i don't belong to that network right right so um i wanted to ask you sandra like so i was bringing this up. And I was thinking about like, I'm going to be getting together with my family, with my brother, with my mm-hmm. uh, nephew that I love to just merge with. And so can you tell a little bit about the instincts when they go to family functions, family gatherings for the holidays, like with Passover mm-hmm. and Easter coming up? Yeah. For self-breast people, they want to follow their own flow, like their the rhythm of their body, you could mm-hmm. say. Um, so it's, it's, it takes some effort for them to 
adapt to, for example, the time they are going to eat, because a lot of them are used to eat, for example, have dinner at 7 p.m. and then suddenly they have to be there at 6 p.m. they're eating. So for other instincts, it might feel like a small detail, but for some of the people who, who have a strong self-preservation instinct, that really is a, is a big deal. And there is a lot of adaptation for them. So that can be a bit difficult. Or they, they don't like to switch seats, for example. Um, whereas well, that's because they want the comfortable chair, right? <laughs> they want to be comfortable and, and they very soon, they have a sense of this is my chair. This is my place. Mm-hmm. I've noticed even in the training, when we do panels and we ask people to come to the front of the room, sometimes they even bring their chair and their jacket and their purse and they're not, they don't have to go out of the room. So it's, it's really funny how they, kind of bring everything along. So it's, there's a sense of this is my space and they want their own space. So I once had this person with social instinct who said, oh, maybe we can just set a clock and every 15 minutes we, we just move one seat so we can talk to everyone. <laughs> and, and I could tell that every, the other two other instincts were like almost vomiting, like what, really? <laughs> We don't want to do that. <laughs> but that is really how it is. Like, this is yeah. the blind spot with this that I have found with coaching with the Enneagram and the instincts in relationships is like a must know because yeah. it really is like vomiting. Like mm-hmm. it's like we get so biased about mm-hmm. how our instinct is the best instinct and everybody else should be that way or otherwise you want to vomit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And it's a fear. It's all based on fears because, as I said, a self-present instinct really needs to have, they're kind of rooted. Just put them on a chair like five minutes and they have roots going down there like, no, this is my place, my spot. But for, so that is a fear. Like, I want, I want my own space. I need that. Huh? And, but for social, there's also a fear because they want to connect with everyone. They want to do the overview interview with everyone. They want to have a quick overview, like how's life? What are you doing? Are you still working there? How are the kids? How are the... It's like all those questions that they want to ask you in 10 minutes, and then they want to move on and check out the next person. And do you ever so, find do you ever find that sometimes they ask you those things, but they're not really interested in the answer? It's just kind of like going through their like social graces in a way. No, no, not really, because I really think I can see that it's their way of being interested. And I if if I I learned that it's a projection of me coming from sexual instinct, that if I'm interested. I start asking questions and I go deeper and deeper. Right. So that is my projection that if they don't do that, they're not really interested. But then I found out, no, that's not true. They really want to know those things, but that's enough for them. It's like um, the first layer on the surface, whereas as a sexual instinct, you say, oh, there is something that interests me. Oh, now we dive deeper. And then you go vertically, vertically, but because they they go horizontally, it's just another way of of communication. Mm-hmm. 
so I don't take it personal or I don't see it as not being interested. I just see it as, oh, this is a social instinct probably. <laughs> that is so how about with me? How about <laughs> in relation to family gatherings? Like what? So how yeah. is that? So you said the thing about the round table. Mm-hmm. So they really yeah. don't like if there is like there somebody's here, someone's there because they can't, what I'm understanding you saying is they can't like cock their ear enough to be hearing and scanning for what else is going on, right? Yes, yeah. And and the other thing you said about that is like, so at a family gathering, they would do games, right? So at my niece's house yeah. on the Sabbath, yeah. you're not allowed to do, because they observe it, you're not mm-hmm. allowed to do transfer fire and use technology. So we play all these board games. Yes. It's a way to keep the group together. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's nice for a bit for me until mm-hmm. <laughs> until they keep, <laughs> until there's too much interaction and everybody's input. And then I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. Now, mm-hmm. what I said earlier is like Sandra and I, when we first met, there was like an instantaneous connection. We're both that we have the same ordering mm-hmm. of our instincts. So yes. like we both locked in and then we went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. And that feels like homecoming to, to if, it, if you have that with somebody, it feels like, oh, this is nice. And actually we are kind of hostage, taken hostage by our instinct, but we don't realize it. Hmm? Um, but that is what happens. And for a sexual instinct, they want to talk about the deeper things of life, like not the superficial stuff. Or they don't want to talk about people who are not there because it's not personal. And so it really creates a very, very different area of or domains that you want to talk about. Like the, the self-press people, they love to talk about health or what kind of vitamins can you take for this or for that or uh, practical stuff or uh, money stuff. Right. Like, like stock how, how do you invest? Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you deal with, with practical stuff? Like where do you go shopping? Where are the, those things are really interesting for most self-preservation people. And I just noticed that as, as soon as somebody starts talking about food, I'm like gone in an instant not interested it's like i it takes me so much energy to keep listening and that is how you can notice what is your main instinct or what is strong how many how much energy does it take Uh, and but the good thing that i see about knowing these instincts is that for example my father is a social instinct and he he sometimes talks about people that I don't know at all. And then, and then he starts asking me questions like, oh, Sandra, do you know that person? He, I think he's the son of that person and that person. And, and then I'm, I'm lost. And it used to annoy me. And now I reframe that and I say, oh, it's just his way of connecting with me. Yes. Yes, and so what I'm, what I'm looking for with the, the deepness and, and the deep conversations is connection as well. So, and if I reframe it that way, it's much softer. It's, there is no judgment then. And I'm like, oh, he's trying to connect with me. 
So what, how would you say um, the, if you're bringing up connection with the self-preservation instinct? Because we have all the all three instincts, right? So it's not like self-preservation. It's just thinking about where's the comfortable chair? What time can I leave and go to bed? You know, or you know, how much money do I have? Right? They they want to connect too. But how what would it look like with them? Like how do they do it? Do they have to go to their other instincts? No, what what I hear from them is that they connect with their loved ones by protecting them and providing for them and more in a physical way. So they track their physical needs. Mm-hmm. They will track, oh, I can, I can tell my daughter is tired. We have to go home. Whereas a social instinct, when they're caught up in their social instinct, no, they wanna keep playing the game. And they tell their children, oh, now you, you're so lucky. Now you can stay up late. <laughs> but, then, but then I had children with self-press instinct who said, I didn't want to stay up late. I just wanted to go to bed. <laughs> and then my parents with their social instinct, they were telling me, look how much fun. Now you can stay up. And they were like, no, I want my bed. <laughs> so, you know, there, there, one of the things that you told me um, out of all the stories that you have ever shared with me was the story about the guy in the tsunami, like one, you know, one thing that the instincts are so automatic, they're so hardwired, right? And even if you, you perceive yourself, and you intellectually believe that this is how you would react in a situation, you never know how you're going to react in that situation. And that is really when your instinct kicks in. Could you share that story? True. And I have, I have, what I do in trainings is that I just tell the situation and then I asked them what will you do just to show them what you're saying that you don't know so those the situation was that the guy was sitting in a restaurant with his wife and two kids and they were having breakfast and they could he could see the tsunami coming to the hotel and and then I asked them okay what would you do and most people say well I would grab my children and my wife and and go outside. And yeah, that is the most logical answer. And I think that is what we would want to do. But the reality was that he took, he grabbed two sandwiches and he ran out. And he identified with the the self-preservation instinct. And the philosophy behind self-preservation instinct is we have more chance of survival if we don't have to look out for each other and we just take care of ourselves where that is the opposite with social instinct it's we're stronger together so it's a different um kind of all is if i have your back you have mine all i need is my person and we're safe yeah yeah and then i (laughs) i would say it's also There is a truth in um, the fact that as a sexual instinct, you're looking for somebody who loves you so deeply that he would give his life for you, which it's a survival system. It's a a survival mechanism. Yeah, of course. So it's a survival mechanism. Yeah. And so it's the same. It's it's there is not a selfish 
uh, instinct because it's all it, they're all selfish it's all about my survival it's just a different way of doing it and um so that guy was really he started crying when he heard about the instincts because he said wow now i understand that i reacted the way I did and I was blaming myself for it and of course once he was outside he ran again he ran inside again to get his he thought oh my children my wife so he, he went back in but it was a really an instinctual reaction like a, it's a knee-jerk gut yeah I, you know, I have another good example of that oh, if please I, I love these because that was that was such a funny one there was this woman who, who bought five cookies uh, in Belgium. There's cookies and we call them Leo. Huh? And she thought, okay, one Leo for every day. Huh? And then Friday, she was looking forward like, okay, tonight I have my last Leo and I will have my Leo moment. And she was dreaming about that cookie and eating that cookie for a whole day during her job. And then she went home and her partner ate the last Leo. <laughs> and she was self-pressed as the dominant instinct. And she said, I knew it was irrational, but I was so angry and I just couldn't get over it. And the whole night I was angry with him because he ate my last cookie. And, and she said, somewhere I knew like, oh my God, you're just overreacting. You're not being sensitive here. But she just couldn't make herself, yeah, the, the anger was too, too big. And if you look at it from the point of view of the instincts, it makes sense because the fear was triggered that she couldn't provide for herself, that if she has her stuff, that she cannot rely that it will be there when she needs it. Yes. And for her, it felt as a need. Yeah. So, you know, that brings me to like why, and you're actually covering a lot of my next question, which is why anyone should bother learning their dominant instinct, the instincts of others, like, but you've given so many examples with that. But one of the things that I'm hearing the most is that it really allows us to have compassion, understanding, and giving each other grace and stop mm -hmm. taking things so personally and and being actually so tunnel vision and narcissistic ourselves because we need to start like seeing it from a, a broader view that the way it is for us with our instinct is very different. Like, you know, the universe has a really great uh, sense mm -hmm. of humor because my boyfriend's stacking is totally opposite of mine with the instincts and he's social first I'm social last I'm sexual first he's sexual last and boy if I would have known this years ago and really like implemented this stuff and I you know and when I work with clients it's it's life-changing and and I really was moved and touched by when you said the guy with the tsunami that he started to cry because it's like he got to forgive himself because he yeah. was probably walking around before he knew this, like, what the hell is wrong with me? Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. What I often say at the end of a training, when they have listened to each other for two days and all the examples is that 
if we could, yeah, I think that a lot of love gets lost in translation. So what we Very do lovely. is we show love in our own love language, our own instinct. Like if you're self-preservation, you will cook for your partner or make life comfortable and easy for him or do tasks in the housekeeping or make sure that the house is clean. So that is your way of showing love. But it's not, if that is not the love language of your partner, it gets lost in translation. And they, it's not, you do so much effort, you put so much effort in it, but they don't feel more loved. And that is sad in a way because you don't even see it. But so I think that if learning those, those instincts are kind of learning love languages and not just being aware of how you show love, but also start to notice, okay, what is the love language of the other person? And how do I really take care of them? Like, for, for example, my mom has been ill for months and she's a self-preservation instinct first. Well, I know I don't need to sit next to her and have deep, deep conversations with her. She has no use of that. But I do everything to make her life more easy and more comfortable. And it can be in very small things that wouldn't be even important to me. But I know it really makes a lot of difference it for her. Love for her. So yes, I just want to clarify something. Um, so you're using the word love languages and most people um, think of the five love languages, mm -hmm. but the, the instincts are actually another form of love languages. Yeah. So I think they, they actually. Um, There's some overlap between them. Mm -hmm. There is an overlap between them. And I think also the, um, I don't know. I think the Enneagram and the instincts in particular was a game changer for me, you know, and working with clients because it's, you know, some people are like, why don't they just skip all the types and just work on the instincts, you know? So yeah. I'm sorry. Please yeah. And especially because it made me see that I created all these stories of why I wasn't loved Yeah, because my both parents have like sexual instinct last so I didn't feel loved because they couldn't address me and my needs in the, in the language that I needed. They couldn't, they, they were not able to have those deep emotional conversations with me, but they did show love in their way. And now I can see it in hindsight, but as a kid, it really hurt me. So I think that um, for me, it was a huge change uh to to realize oh they were showing me love i just didn't notice it right boy today's show is just so powerful it is just everything that you've shared really i i can't imagine the listeners not getting so much value from this so anything so. that you want to say about this in closing well, I hope they feel more loved and that they <laughs> consider that maybe not everybody picks up all their efforts and that it's not because you're not doing something wrong, but it's just, it's a different radio station, so to speak. <laughs> Definitely. I like that. I might borrow that. <laughs> you <Right>. can. <laughs> Thank you.
All right. Mm-hmm. So in, um, in closing, I just, first of all, want to thank you, Sandra, for taking the time to do today's show and sharing your wisdom and just being my soul friend and um, just grateful for everything that you have brought to my life. Uh, second, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I want to uh, thank the listeners for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show and walked away with some value for yourselves. If you'd like to know more about your Enneagram personality trifecta and the instinctual survival strategies, which we were speaking of today, um, please feel free to visit my website at relations-coach.com. That is relations with an S-coach.com and take advantage of the free 15-minute consultation. Say that again. Take advantage of the free 15-minute consultation to discuss your results. And lastly, I want to wish you all a happy and fun and loving holiday. Bye for now. See you on our next podcast.